0: Welcome to Cabin Minute Cast. It's Friday, and yes, the scenario has been chosen. The ritual, it appears, has begun, and we are ready to appease the old gods one sexy wolf kissing minute at a time. I'm Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. <laughs> and I'm Molly Balin of LittleRedMark.com. And we welcome back for our special Friday episode, our very, 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 very special guest, <laughs> the delightful Jenny Law. Welcome back, Jenny.
1: Hello. It's good to be here again on this fine Friday. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's been really great getting to know you over these minutes. It's, it's been super fun, and I, I'm so glad you're still here with us.
1: Me too.
2: <laughs> Thanks for continuing to live through the episodes, Jenny. Yes. <laughs>
1: so uh, I haven't been fornicist yet.
0: Fornicist.
1: <laughs> yeah, fornicust yet. Yeah.
2: Hashtag fornicus. <laughs> so in today's episode, we're covering minute twenty-seven of the movie The Cabin in the Woods. And in this minute, we get past mere flirtation with the wolf and get to the goods.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's getting it's getting pretty heated up in here.
2: Mm-hmm. I have a friend
0: who shall remain nameless, and she collects very interesting vintage taxidermy, um, all sorts of things from wonderful, playful little monkeys who wear hats to... <laughs> albino sheep and all sorts of crazy stuff. I could be wrong about the albino sheep, but there are some albino um, things, all sorts of interesting things. And her home is decorated quite artistically and eclectically, including some fantastic thrift store art that can borderline be really scary. (laughs) <laughs> but lovingly, you know, things like lovingly painted pictures of someone's pet, but the person that's painting it is not a great painter, so it ends up being kind of creepy <laughs> all sorts of stuff like that. So, yeah, so I am a little interested and actually did own a piece of taxidermy myself at a certain point that I bought at a at a yard sale, but my boyfriend at the time didn't really like it, so... <laughs> We <laughs> Eventually, that deer found a new home, that deer head. But uh, it, he didn't want it in the kitchen nook for some reason. But anyways, I thought I'd look up a little bit of taxidermy history, and I came across this woman on Wikipedia named Martha Maxwell. Martha Ann Maxwell, uh, born in uh, 1831, she was an American naturalist, artist, and taxidermist. She helped found modern taxidermy. Hmm. Maxwell's pioneering dioramas diorama displays are said to have influenced major figures in taxidermy history who entered the field later on and then it kind of talks about her contemporaries etc etc she is credited with being the first woman field naturalist to obtain and prepare her own specimens
2: Hmm. wow
0: Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. So I'll go through her biography just to just touch on a couple things and then get to a little a little meaty part that I thought was especially interesting. So she was married Martha Dart to Spencer and Amy Stanford Dart. And as I move along here, she was known for wanting, loving taking uh, long walks in the woods. So there's a little bit of a cabin in the woods connection there. Um, She returned to her parents, who were then living in Baraboo, Wisconsin. This is after her going to Oberlin College. And she had had plans to become a teacher. So Maxwell was teaching at a local school when James Maxwell, a Baraboo businessman, hired her in 1853 to chaperone two of his children at Lawrence College in Wisconsin And they ended up getting married. So there's a little bit more to it, but I don't need to go into all the details. The part I found a little bit interesting here was interest in taxidermy. This is the section called Interest in Taxidermy. The Maxwell family was hit with financial ruin in the Panic of 1857. As a result of this, Maxwell and James joined the Colorado Gold Rush of 1860. They left their daughter Mabel, or Mabel, <laughs> behind the care in the care of her maternal grandparents, the Maxwells eventually settling in Nevadaville, Colorado, while James Pursued mining, Maxwell took in washing, mending, and baked pies to earn her own income. She made her own investments and bought an interest in a boarding school, some mining claims, and she purchased a one room log cabin on the plains east of Denver. In 1861, yeah, I, thought, I was like, ooh, one room log cabin, that perks up my interest a little bit. Hmm. In 1861, the boarding house burned down, leaving Maxwell with no way to earn an income and the family no place to live. Mm. The plan was to move to the cabin that Maxwell had bought, but when she got there, they found that a claim jumper had moved into the cabin. They took the squatter to court and the decision came down in favor of the Maxwells, but the German man living in their cabin refused to move out. Maxwell waited until the man finally left the cabin, um, just going to run an errand, and she removed the door from the frame. She entered the cabin and found amongst it um, his possessions, and uh, that included perfectly preserved stuffed birds and animals. So the claim jumper was a taxidermist by training, and so she proceeded to um, put everything out and then decided that she was interested, like, she put it all out. So he, you know, he was like, okay, you're out of here. <laughs> like, they took over the the cabin. And then after that, she was, her interest was piqued. So then that's how she decided to start to learn to preserve birds and animals. And um, that's where she got. So I thought that was just kind of interesting that that's, she just kind of stumbled across this taxidermy, and then continued to have a career in taxidermy, and actually develop specific techniques that um, people use. So, so if you're curious about that, her name's Martha Maxwell, and you can, you know, read a little bit more if you're interested in that kind of a thing.
1: One can only hope that she will soon also have her own Lego set, like like the ladies of NASA.
0: <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah I would love a little that. Lego taxidermied mm-hmm. head.
0: yeah i uh, i definitely get really creative with that and like kind of put different different animal body parts together Mm -hmm. and stuff do a weird menagerie so so yeah there's a little bit about her and um yeah what what else is is going on here that y'all
2: might want to comment on well i can chat a little bit about Um, I did a little research because I was curious, like, where did Truth or Dare come from? You know, like, what's the history? Like, how did we come up with Truth or Dare? And it seems that there are different... I couldn't find a definitive, like, Truth or Dare was developed in 1850 by so-and-so. But it seems that there has been some sort of derivation of Truth or Dare that's happened or occurred in different cultures over the last, you know, like, hundreds of years. So it's popped up in, in Britain, um, there's a version in Australia, and they're named slightly different, but when I started, like, digging a little deeper, somebody had recommended that there was a particular book by these uh, couple of folklorists out of Britain, Peter and Iona Opie. And so they have a series of volumes of books, and what they ended up doing was they observed children at play without any other like adults around so no regulated play by an outside source but observe them and and how they played and so they did this like sociology research project over you know many volumes and many years and and really tried to codify child's play so there's a couple of books that they have and there's another book that I saw that came out of author Elizabeth Tucker called Children's Folklore a Handbook. And so she also talks about the different types of games that children play. We, we're calling them kids, but they're probably like late teens, early 20s, because presumption is is that, you know, they're in college. So they're they're kind of midway through. So they're, these are like adolescent, truth or dears like they consider like an adolescent game. So they make a distinction of like kissing games and In Alice Bertha Gomes, traditional games of England, Scotland and Ireland, it includes examples of late 19th century kissing games. So there are also kissing games that, you know, are a little more more current in the 90s. There's that uh, popular game played by teenagers, which was pass the card. So that's where people would, you know, take a some kind of um, gaming card and kind of put it up against their mouth and try to like suck in and hold on to it and then pass the card to other, oh. you know, po- folks playing, you know? Suck and blow. Suck and blow. Yes. Um, See, we
0: but- used to do that with oranges when I was a kid and we were mm. s-
2: s- first having
0: boy-girl parties. You'd take an orange and have it in your neck and you'd be holding the orange <laughs> with your neck and have to have to pass it along to somebody else's neck. Oh, thank so God. It. it was like,
1: I was wondering how someone was going to, like, I guess, bite into an orange and then they would have to...
0: <laughs> Totally. Yeah, but it was very intimate, you know. You're, like, curling up next to the person next to you and kind of giggling and maybe blushing, you know, depending. Um, but, yeah, I remember it being, you know, it was definitely a boy-girl type of situation.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's... Um what Tucker calls like boy-girl games and actually the Pass of Orange is amongst them. So it's one of those, like, from like a development kind of perspective, it's that it's somewhat taboo. So it's playing with the intimacy and playing with like that burgeoning sexuality without actually like breaking the limits, so to speak. But then there's also um, dangerous games, which frighten, you know, adults, obviously, because the, there's different degrees of them. And so there's like the the choking game that was going around a little bit where people would, teenagers would like, choke each other until just about fainting or passing out, and then, you know, wake up so there's like a euphoria that happens or you're going to dare somebody to hang out at the train tracks. You know, games that, you know, where you're like, oh, maybe this is it's it's risky, but you're not sometimes like directly in harm's way. So that's where Truth and Dare comes in. So it kind of overlaps with that boy-girl kissing game, but also a daring game at the same time. So I just thought that was really interesting to look at these games as something that's just kind of like a part of growing up, that there is... Part of like the development of like one's psychology and one's like intimacy and one's like relation to other that it's just kind of built in in, in a gaming sort of sense. And I felt that that was a, a really good example that, you know, this film is using also because there's so much of this like potential horror fake out like and especially with the scene where, you know, you have this like hardcore horror music shift. With her like making out with the wolf, and you're like, holy shit, is the wolf gonna come alive? Is it gonna eat her face? Like, what's gonna happen? Like, is this the moment that shit hits the fan? Because we right. keep, you know, having these teases, and I think, you know, Truth or Dare is that opportunity again, where you're like, oh my gosh, you're you're doing this kind of risky behavior socially because it's kind of an embarrassing thing to do, but she's really owning it. But at the same time, we have this other like, as a as an audience, have this horror backdrop of like, oh my god, is something really gonna go
1: down here?
2: So I just thought it was was interesting to kind of take a look at the that other more historical meta aspect of of what's happening
1: and you guys have done a lot of great research and it's really interesting to hear this stuff i just my only contribution other than well i guess my only contribution to this line of or this theme this part of it is her talking about the big bad wolf and you know um and talking about essentially the I guess she talks about the three little pigs story, not it wouldn't be the big bad wolf and um, red, little red riding hood. But it made me think of my favorite version, my favorite picture book version of the three little pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's by a, a an artist, author named David Wiesner, or Wisner. It's called the three pigs. And it's like a, it's like a deconstructed picture book. And it's absolutely amazing. I encourage anybody who likes that story or likes wolves, to check to, to check this out. So um, he's amazing. He's won the Caldecott several times. And if you don't know about him in general, he's someone to definitely check out. So
0: that's a fantastic recommendation. And I just very quietly, um, you know, Googled that and saw what it is, you know, who this artist is. And yeah, it's really uh, beautiful, beautiful illustration. So that's cool. Very nice. I like... Where you're going with that, Molly. And I'm just, it just made me kind of, you know, made me cast my mind back a bit to, you know, playing spin the bottle and um, even like ding dong ditch em and stuff like that. Like I remember <laughs> talking about the, you know, the stuff that's a little risky and the stuff that's you kind know, of playing around with versioning sexuality and stuff. I remember playing ding dong ditch em with a kid. And um, I remember. Him just deciding that besides, you know, running up and hitting the doorbell and then running away, he hit a, went up, hit the doorbell, turned around, pulled down his pants, <laughs> stuck out <laughs> his penis, and then ran away. <laughs> I don't know where he got that idea. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> but it really
2: changed the game, you know? <laughs> Wow, yeah, that you know, that kinda adults things up when a penis comes out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also remember, you know, just being in line for you know, going back into class and being in line with a kid and I think I was in second grade, I'm pretty sure, and him just saying in the line, like truth or dare, you know, and I said, Dare and he said, I dare you to kiss me and then I kissed him and you know, then he was like my boyfriend for the second half of the day, you know. <laughs> just, it's little. That just—it's such an interesting time of our lives when we're little kids, and it—it it, it, we're in our own little worlds, you know, running mm-hmm. around on the playground and and learning about who we are and our relationship to the other kids, and uh, so I just I remember it with fondness, and then remember the awkwardness of it too.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And, you know, you're bringing up a, a good point there. And that there was one of the things that Opie's had pointed out is that even though it may look kind of chaotic, like the, the regular rules of gameplay, there was always like a built in sense of fairness. Like mm. fairness was really important to like the kids, and that, and I remember that. I remember being a little person being like, "No, nah, this is the way this should be even," you know, and arguing with people, mm. you know, or people would like pull bullshit out, and you're like, "No, no, 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 like that's not fair." So I find that to be really interesting that like to be that young and still have this built-in sense of the way shit should be, you know, like you were saying with the logic of like. You know, I dared you. You kissed me. I own you now for the rest of the afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) This is the fairness we've, you know, we've decided on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder what, you
0: know, where we got these clues when we were little, you know, when Mm -hmm. we were kids, what, what, what was influencing us to know what it meant when you kissed somebody or, you know, what we had been exposed to besides that kid's (laughs) penis.
1: (laughs) 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 (sighs) Um, i'm essentially lisa simpson and so i am still as a an adult woman very like that's not fair that's gotta be fair you know (laughs) so i don't know i grew up poor in rural south carolina so i have all sorts of weird stories about being a kid and playing games but i don't think that there are things i should share (laughs) (laughs) that might be a different podcast i think so i mean when you're poor like you do things like throw pine cones at each other i mean i don't know it's just like it's there i don't know (laughs) that's
2: good clean fun
1: Um, except until someone's face gets scratched near their eyeball. Yeah, Um, I was gonna say, that does
0: not sound like good clean fun to me at all pine
2: cones are I thought they're pretty light. I mean, they're not, like, throwing stars. They're pine cones. (laughs) But,
1: so, if you guys know this already, please excuse me, but the pine cones that we think of pine cones are actually, like, the female pine cones. Um, Mm. and the little tiny, funny, lighter-colored, spermy-looking ones are the males. (laughs) oh okay oh, no way i didn't yeah. know that yeah so when you when someone throws a pine cone at you and you think it's a pine cone of it as a pine cone it's open it's got those spikes on it it's a a lady pine cone hmm. yeah wow yeah there's something new every day
2: wow <laughs> no i'm really i'm just i you know because i was talking about the the wreaths i'm mm-hmm. just really recontextualizing that now <laughs> <laughs> so thank you You're thank welcome. you i that's awesome! Yeah, just like
1: <laughs> witches, we made do. So <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I
0: love a good pinecone with some googly eyes, well placed. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and and then within this minute, we kind of described it. But Jules is doing this. You know, she's really she's really playing up this part, and she's going full bore. Like she took her dare quite seriously and is putting on a bit of a production and it's she's really you know getting from from front to back of the snout of this this guy really giving him a good kiss Mm. and then and then after making out with him she whispers thank you (laughs) (laughs) i kind of wondered what your your girls if you had any. You know, you witches, if you had any thoughts on (laughs) just her even saying that. Is just part of the performance? Is this part of her being influenced by the you know, the drugs that have been given to her? What what's this all about, this thank you? I mean, I
1: think it's great that she asks for consent and then thanks him (laughs) for her. You know, I mean that's a good good modeling. Definitely. (laughs) You know,
2: I just thought it was like when the sex is that good and you just feel grateful. <laughs> I just I just thank you. Thank you for being that good. Thank you for the experience. So I thought it was a, a moment of of genuine gratitude, you know. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't remember who the comedian is. so if if somebody out there on Twitter
0: or somewhere knows or maybe you girls know, but I do remember some black comedian talking about that that's like a white girl thing to do right to always be thanking <laughs> you after you know after a good session
1: in the sack <laughs> i can't remember who it was but that sounds, i remember thinking it was really funny that possibly sounds like mr eddie murphy during his raw special mm. oh maybe mm. no i, definitely I, I don't saw know okay i just got the okay. idea, I, got the <laughs>
0: idea. I remember i used to watch the um Def Jam comedy Hour or whatever that was called. That was pretty funny and there were a lot of great, great comedians on there. So I don't know if I saw it on that, but I just remember that being like a, a funny little bit. And I messed it, it up. I was trying to be the time.
1: I was trying to be formal and I called him Mr. Eddie Murphy. It would be Mr. Edward
0: Murphy. <laughs> 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 Mr. Edward Murphy. Yes. Mr. Edward Murphy in <laughs> his tight leather
1: tight leather ensemble.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of like taxidermy you know it's just been sewn together and
1: oh yeah put all over it, it did I think his red outfit did have like slashes in it right yeah i think so mm-hmm. oh circling back to taxidermy i meant to bring this up have either of you seen the website bad taxidermy.com oh, oh yes. Yes. yeah <laughs>
0: yeah i oh. think there's even uh i think somebody even gave me a book that's called like derpsidermy or something like that <laughs> and they're like every all yeah all the yeah. different taxidermy is like you know their tongues hanging out or their eyes are crossed or it's they have strange. an extra animal attached
1: to them <gasps> <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, mm.
0: so what else was I gonna say oh I just because we're kind of keeping um you know keeping in mind that there are many homages to other movies and, of course, one of the other couple of movies that are definitely referenced, you know, very literally here at the in the cabin in the woods is um, Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. And there's a whole scene with a cackling taxidermy deer and then a bunch of other things kind of coming to life and, and being possessed and doing a lot. It's like very slapsticky or very... Uh, you know, almost cartoonish. They're laughing. And I came across on, uh, online something cool that I will share in the show notes, but it was, um, a couple that does, um, uh, they, they build props and they decided to, uh, build a prop of that, that laughing, uh, deer. And it was pretty, pretty cool. So I'll, I'll share that later. But, uh, that was about all I had myself. There was, uh, you know, of course we end here with with um Kurt kind of presuming, "Oh, now we're going to Well, we... oh, I don't want to go by without saying that then Jules after she says thank you, she she does a little little curtsy and bow and then she also picks a little bit of that fur out of her teeth, which I thought was pretty... <laughs> And then um and then Dana is asked about truth or dare for her and kurt kind of being again mr jockey jerk guy now is just like truth you know i'm just skipping ahead like he he's he's inferring i guess that she always chooses truth Mm -hmm. what about you ladies when do you do you recall playing truth or dare i definitely was a dare person all the way
2: i think i did a bit of both honestly Depending on how, I don't know the if, if liquor was involved or not, but because um, <laughs> <laughs> I think either way, people are going to put you on the spot, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure I chose truth sometimes. and I felt like, I guess it de- also would depend on who you were around, you know, like certain people. I think I had certain cousins, boy cousins, that I would always do truth because I didn't want to, you know, whatever their dare might be dangerous or something. Too much, but yeah. How about you, Jenny? Pine cones involved? (laughs) No. (laughs) no. (laughs) Can you repeat the question? Did you? Would you choose truth or would you choose dare?
1: So I would choose dare. Like I remember playing, and I remember choosing dare until like I was outside without a shirt on in the middle of the winter, and I was Mm. like eleven or twelve, and I was like, "Mm -mm, no. And so I started choosing truth. And then I would just lie. Because, I mean, how are they going to know? Like, (laughs) so I didn't have to do anything because it was it was never something funny, you know, or like funny to, you know, or interesting. It was always like be naked or call this person, which I mean, I already really loved doing prank phone calls when I was that age. So, I mean, it was like, why would I need to be dared to do it? But no. So I just remember thinking like the worst they can ask me is who I have a crush on and I can just lie. (laughs) <laughs> i never thought to do
2: that that's a really you know i just i'm like god i just feel like i missed something like i could have just gotten out of it i'm like why i don't know why i felt like i'd taken a blood oath to like <laughs> speak the truth there but you're like hey fuck it i'll just lie and i'll just they don't know and i'll just get out of it and i just i i feel like you were a smarter kid
1: well that was out of like survival though because i think the first time that i chose truth i told the truth about who i had a crush on and then like he found out and i was so upset and worried and so i was like this will never happen again Mm. (laughs) Mm. just like yes all of you can make out with your pillows i see that my one friend has a camera i will not be making out with my pillow (laughs) (laughs) so you could say that maybe i was a paranoid child but this you know they were there was information gathering and spreading and you know the the way to stop that was just to lie just straight out just lie i mean i can't even remember the lies i told so i mean who cares
2: yeah no yeah <laughs> yeah i mean no one's gonna remember now
1: no i think i like always like steadfastly just said that i like i had a crush on someone who was in a tv show or something and it was usually like like a tv show from nick at night that i knew none of them watched and so <laughs> <laughs> kind of like having a
0: canadian boyfriend or something. yeah so it'd be
1: like um yeah i really love maynard g krebs he <laughs> He goes to school at um he goes to school across town. <laughs> he goes to my church. <laughs> nice. I mean, I don't know. So, it was survival. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So uh, I
0: think it was very smart of you. Very smart, mm-hmm. very smart. Totally. I do remember another dare, and it does. It, this time, it has to do with everything but the penis. Oh no! I remember. <laughs> I remember playing truth or dare with some kids, and this boy chose dare, and he had to walk down, he walk a block on our suburban street. It well, it wasn't the suburb; it was Seal Beach, California. But um, on our, you know, our uh, street of um, homes. And uh, I say that just because I think there's, since then, as an adult, I've lived in places where there's like houses and apartments and, you know, maybe commercial things like uh, restaurants and stuff like that. So this is just our little neighborhood is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he had to walk one block of our neighborhood wearing only a girl's, what did we call those? I'm totally drawing a blank, you guys. Is it a menstruation they- belt? No! <laughs> wow! <laughs> that, oh my God! I think he'd be scarred for life. <laughs> no, it was a um, a halter, a arm, you know, a halter top. Hmm. That's what they call it. But the ones with no tube top—that's oh. what I'm trying to think of. Oh, okay. A tube top, totally the '70s, right? So it was just a tube, a stretchy tube, and you just, you know pulled it up over, this is, you know, you you had no bra on or anything and uh, you just wore it as as your top and it was just a tube of material that was kind of stretchy. So he had to wear that just around his lower extremities, around his butt and his crotch. So he's wearing and a skirt. He,
1: to... he was wearing a mini skirt, <laughs> yeah, essentially. But like a mini,
0: mini, 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 mini skirt. Oh, a bandeau. Yeah. A bandeau. <laughs> yeah, from but, <laughs> Uh, so that's what i remember a lot of a lot of male nudity in my childhood (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so yeah is there anything else anybody would like to specifically talk about (laughs) this minute before we go into our recommendations
1: so my last question is Does the phrase husband's bulge enrage you or make you laugh?
0: Well, I know the answer to that for both (laughs) of us. It makes us laugh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I teeter back and forth because it's one of those so self-consciously witty and clever things that it just sticks out to me every time I hear it. But it is funny. So, but it just, I kind of go back and forth on it. Anyway, mm. I'm the lone witch on this. It's fine.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: I love a good husband bulge. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, my God. We've been <laughs> laughing about husband bulge because I'm really pretty. My humor is very juvenile. And I just, I you know, anything, anything to do with, like, penis related stuff, I'm just going to, like, giggle at.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, well thanks for bringing all the 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 awesome questions and for playing with us today and uh before we we say goodbye to Friday and fare thee well to to Jenny, what um what kind of recommendation do you have for us today, Miss Jenny?
1: Um so I actually have three things if that's okay.
0: Sure!
1: Um, I have two books. Uh the first one is Uprooted by Naomi Novik, which is a fairy tale so every 10 years or so this wizard that lives above this young woman's village the wizard's name is called the dragon comes down and chooses a town's a town's folk um, a young woman to go back to his castle with him and no one really knows what the deal is except that they have to do this to kind of keep the peace and so there's this one woman who Everyone is sure that she's going to be the one that's picked. She's the most beautiful. She can sing the best. She makes the best bread, all that stuff. Um, but her best friend ends up being picked instead. And it's about this this young woman who's picked and her journey to becoming a witch and to understanding magic and to kind of to going on a, her own hero's journey, which is very interesting. Awesome. Um, and
0: so, again, that's called Uprooted? Uprooted
1: by Naomi mm. Novik. Um, oh, cool. And then I'm re- rereading one of my favorite books, which is Kindred by Octavia Butler, which is simultaneously a time travel story and a slave narrative. Wow. Hmm. Um, and it's it's brutal and it's beautiful. And I can't say enough good things about Octavia Butler's writing. If you've never checked it out, it's something you really everyone needs to read her. And I think Kindred because it's a standalone book as opposed to part of one of her bigger series is is a good place to start. And then awesome. in recent weeks, I've been listening to this podcast called the Red Handed Podcast. Uh, it's, it's two women in England, and I, I I've kind of blanked on their names, but it's a true crime podcast. But of course, they have the very the very beautiful British accents, and they're very conversationally tell you the whole story behind some big crime. Um, mm-hmm. And they've covered different crimes, kind of in different parts of the world, and. While there are some sidebars and kind of personal touches, I like that they're just very conversationally tell you about this true crime. And they judge. They, they're they very judgy about the, about the crime as well. Um, and I find that very interesting. So that's it.
0: Fantastic. Those are really great recommendations.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you.
1: Thanks. Okay, Miss Molly. Mine
2: is the TV show Vikings. So I... And I think I've mentioned this before. I'm a really big fan of just history and period pieces. And I love the opening. I mean, even the opening is amazing. It's um, Fever Ray. And it's this... Oh, it just... It feels like like Norsk pagan magic music, just like from get-go. And, and there's this... There's a little bit of mysticism to it. So the premise is basically Vikings venturing out of Scandinavia. So the show is built on a, we call it like a, kind of like a Norse ballad Hmm. about um, Ragnar Lothbrok and his sons. And so it spans, you know, Ragnar Lothbrok and then his own sons going and doing their own thing. So it has a pretty long swatch of time and it's, it's something that you could almost see more on like HBO or Showtime, but it's just really fascinating to see, you know, the the tribal squabbles and, you know, the spirituality, you know, they talk about Odin and then there's a clash a clash with Christianity. So it's Michael Hurst and Michael Hurst did the Tudors as well. So if you're a Tudors fan, you know, this is along those lines, but not as racy because it's on the, the History Channel, but it's still really lush and beautiful and brutal and... And just kind of fascinating to see this this area of, you know, this time in history and to just, you know, postulate what these folks were like. And, yeah, it's got one of the, the Skarsgård uh, brothers in it. Um, Gustav Skarsgård plays Floki, who's and he's just incredible, like, character. And it's just super it's just super immense. And it's it's well worth your time if you haven't checked it out. Cool.
0: That sounds, I think my husband's watched a couple and I've kind of, you know, sat down and sort of watched a bit of it and just wasn't in the mood for getting into an epic type of tale. Like, I really feel like something like that. I want to sit down from the very, you know, first episode and kind of get in there so I know all the characters and stuff and what's going on. So sounds like something to check out. Mm-hmm.
1: So this is the, the last Sarsgaard brother, right, that hasn't quite made it into American movies
2: yeah, I don't know that he's really done I, – I know he's done film, but he's not – this has been, like, the big thing that we would know him mm-hmm. for. Yeah. Okay.
0: Cool. Well, my recommendation is podcast-related. It's Movies by Minutes podcast-related. And it's Lady podcast-related. And it's kind of a uh... – scary podcast related and so recently launched um susan and i didn't write down her last name but i did write down her first name which is susan susan is one of our fellow fell i was trying to say fella but fella, <laughs> still fellows <laughs> one of our uh, kindred kindred lady podcasters from the movies by minutes world and she is beautifully tackling *The Shining*. Mm, hmm. So as of this recording, she—they've just started, and she's got a couple of great guests right up front. But she's the one running the show, and uh, it, she's actually tackling this cleverly at two minutes and thirty-seven seconds an episode. <laughs> Cool. So kind of riffing on that. And uh, yeah, so you can you can find her by looking up Shining, The Shining, pardon me, The Shining 2 colon 37. But I think if you just write The Shining into iTunes and if you see 2 colon 37 or 2 dot dot 37, which is what another podcaster calls it, Um that uh, she's doing a great job. I've, I've three episodes have been released so far, and they've all been really great. She goes dives in deep, but um, as you mentioned, Jenny, it's more conversational. So we're we're getting some deep dives, but we're also getting to know her and getting to know her guests, and and their uh, great conversations around some you know so many themes and you know all the different. I mean, gosh, The Shining, there's so much to get into, (laughs) all sorts of theories and, you know, um, just the way the film was shot. And and they did an episode zero that is um, more about the history of um, what uh, Kubrick was doing before The Shining and kind of setting the tone. And so, yeah, I highly recommend it. And Susan, you're doing a
1: fantastic
0: Mm -hmm. job and so glad to have you be part of the family. Sweet, Very cool. Yeah. Right on. Well, let's get the fuck out of here. (laughs) It's been really fun having you here. And Jenny, uh, is there anywhere you want to point anybody before we take off? We talked a little bit off mic about some of the projects that other projects that you have in your life besides besides being a librarian and one thing that that we found out is that we have a mutual friend mm-hmm. somebody that uh, was one of our fave guests on Spinal Tap and <laughs> Andy Renton and um, are you interested in sharing any of those projects with that that you do with him I'm interested in having you tell us a little bit about it
1: oh um um I guess you have to go to Dragon Con or Heroes Con to do the <laughs> to them sure, but um
0: fine. we many people don't do that
1: you know, <laughs> yeah um so andy rutton and i um andy's the creator of owly he and i do the big owly Annie at dragon con and at heroes con which is all ages and we sing songs and we do crafts and we wear little paper owl ears. and andy shows us how to draw owly and it's it's a really great great moment um to spend time seeing how he makes one of uh, the best kids characters out there. I also, I'm the co-runner of the periodic table parade group at dragon con for the parade. Um, And you can look up um, more information about that at ParadeOfElements.com. My friend Jason Clay and I have been running that for several years and we're going to be hitting our 10th anniversary next year so wow if you go to dragon con thank you if you go to dragon con and you would like to be dress up as an element from the periodic table you can check out our website and the elements that are in blue are the ones that are available to claim so
0: sweet oh my god yeah well we'll definitely send a link to that and uh send a link to owly i always love highlighting andy's art he um he is so talented and i love owley and
1: oh yeah love
0: andy so yeah it's great to to find out just through doing this podcast with you totally (laughs) just happened to come up in conversation that that we have mutual podcast pals that uh that are cool people so yeah (laughs) sweet sweet all right well I think um, I'm going to keep it short. Just find us at cabinminutecast.com and we'll keep the conversation going on Gabin in the Woods on our Facebook group. If you feel so inclined to rate and review us, we hope that you'll, you know, give us something five stars. And uh, and that's about all we want.
1: <laughs> you guys, you guys, you need to give them five stars. You need to give them the full husband's bulge.
2: <laughs> the fall husband's <laughs> Well, I'd like to second. Um thank you, thank you, thank you, Jenny Law for coming on the show. It has been an absolute fucking riot to have you. I'm so so glad that <laughs> you agreed to stay up late on a weeknight to do so. So, yes, I hope to keep in touch with you cuz this yes. has just been wonderful. So, it was
1: my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me hmm it's been a pleasure thank you so um thanks
2: again everybody for tuning in to episode 27 and we will see you back at the cabin